have a Bible. We're going to start in Romans. We're going to go over to Daniel. Start in Romans, go to Daniel. And if you have a device, a phone, you can go to your Bible app, the YouVersion app, to find the events, and then uh, you can uh, follow along right there. We have notes in there, and the, the verses already picked out, that sort of thing. Well, we're in the second week of our series that we have entitled, In God We Trust. And uh, basically, the, the premise of this series, the entire series, is this. That as believers, as those who follow Christ, um, our position as we look to the future is politically and otherwise. As we look to the future, our position as believers should be one of faith, not fear. And, and last week I told you I, I've read a lot of, of blogs and, and, and different things and, and had conversations, seen social media, and it seems... It seems as if believers are taking a posture of fear um, when it comes to this election cycle instead of a posture of faith. And I found that trouble. So that's kind of the, 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 the angle that we're going at this from. And that's the only purpose, that's the only reason that, uh, that we're doing this series is to try to, this, to answer the question, do we as a church and as individual followers of Christ... Do we have a, a posture of faith instead of a posture of fear? Now, last week I said um, that uh, you're going to be tempted to um, look for subliminal messages, and there are none. Uh, what I say is what I mean. I, I'm no subliminal messages. I'm not trying you know, do mind tricks or anything like that. Um, but then I got to home group last Sunday night, and in the Smith family, this is the, the lingo we use, they were busting my chops. And what I mean by that is they said, oh, no subliminal messages. I see that there's a man on your a graphic. I'm like, no, that, that's unintentional. They're like, it's a blue tie. And, and one of the candidates had a blue tie on it. So you're, you are sending subliminal messages. I said, no, we're not. No, I promise. And then I got here this morning. They said, oh, uh, some of the people that were setting up for worship said, oh, a blue tie. That's, that's a left-leaning uh, color tie. What are you doing? Are they subliminal messages? I said, no. So I, yeah, at least I got it from both sides, but um, no subliminal messages, all right? We're just, uh, my purpose, my only desire is to answer the question, is, is our posture as believers a posture of faith instead of a posture of fear? As we look to the election, as we look to the future as a country, as a nation, as a culture, and in our society. Now... I want to make sure that you understand what I'm not saying. I'm not saying that nothing is going wrong in the culture, in the society that we live in. It's, it's not my intention to, to try and sit here on Sunday mornings and spiritualize the, 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 the culture that we live in and then put a positive spin on it. It's not my desire to, 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 to diminish the significance of the things that are going on in our culture. It's not my desire. And it's not the point of our series. As, as believers, we, we, we believe that, that, there are, that there are boundaries or there are, are, are um, uh, boundaries. You try to sit up here and not forget what you're about to say. <laughs> there are boundaries. Golly. Boundaries they're, 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 that are put in our lives by, in the scriptures. 
They're parameters that are put in our lives in the scriptures that are for our flourishing, that are for our good. And when our culture or when we in our personal life step outside of those boundaries, there are consequences. And so we see that my point in this series is not to diminish that. We believe that God has set up these, these boundaries for our flourishing so that we would be all that we were created to be. And when we step outside of those boundaries, when we step outside of those parameters, there are consequences for that. And so my desire is not to diminish that, to put a positive spin on, on that. It's not the point of our series. Romans chapter 1, put it this way. Verse 21. Although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him because they became futile, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, claiming to be wise. They became fools. I am not suggesting that we take a posture of faith because we have a lack of this. In fact, we have leaders who are claiming to be wise and those who desire to be leaders claiming to be wise and in doing so become fools. According to the scriptures. They have set uh, in their personal lives and visions for this country. They have set uh, morals that are and vision that are outside the parameters for our flourishing. And we weep in that. We are brokenhearted when that happens. And we do not diminish the significance of it. And so I will not do that. And it is not my desire to do that. As we look to take our posture and make it one of faith instead of one of fear. Or we pray that God would allow us, would give us the strength, maybe is, is more biblically coherent, would give us a, a, a posture of fear instead of one of faith. Ravi Zacharias this week, speaking on this very issue, said this. This is him speaking, I'm not this smart. I find it fascinating how the things we mock in life in the end mock us. We mock laws of goodness. Those violated laws come back to prove themselves right. The skeptic mocks the scriptures. The scriptures prove themselves to be right repeatedly. Yet we change God's law and we make true freedom possible. Or that make true freedom possible into our own dictates for everyone. We think right and left and forget there are an up and a down. America has changed beliefs that have existed for five millennia on virtually every matter of essence. Humanity is redefined, truth redefined, absolutes are jettisoned. What's more, we live under the delusion that any rebellion against a transcendent moral order is a personal matter with merely personal implications because we know better now. And we call that progress. In the end, with moral uh, choices, there is no such thing as isolation. The impact of moral choices is catastrophic, like an earthquake that radically changes existing structures. America seems to be on a path to a death wish. Why? We're determined in the academy, in the arts, in politics, and in journalism to go it without 
God, we simply do not wish to have a moral law over us or above us. And the result is that we're seeing the world skidding out of control. I thought about, at this point, giving some examples. But I simply could not come up with any that are not emotionally charged. And so I won't. But I hope you understand what I'm saying. It is not my desire to diminish those things that are important. It is not my desire to diminish things that are, that are outside the boundaries that God has given us for our flourishing and then call that progress. It's not my desire. I used to think that a Christian worldview would allow you to step into difficulty. Those things that I've just described on a, on a society, societal level or a cultural level, or a national level, that, you, that to step into to those, uh, think, it, was, uh, it was unchristian to step into those and weep over things that are broken. It might be easier to illustrate on a personal level. I used to think that as a pastor, as a friend, that when there was loss in a family, that a Christian worldview would diminish the significance of that loss. In other words, we, we don't, we're not broken hearted at loss because I, can, I was a master at spirit, over-spiritualizing it. Because we have hope and all those things are true. But that's not a Christian worldview. That is, that, that's what other world religions call progress. That is not a Christian worldview. A Christian worldview walks into the brokenness that a family has experienced and weeps with those who weep. Uh, follows or joins the broken hearted in brokenheartedness. That's a Christian worldview. And I used to think that that was not the case. That, 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 that um, stoicism or, or, or something like that was a Christian worldview. We don't get too low because God's in charge. We don't get too high because bad things are coming. And then when bad things come, we remind ourselves that God's in charge. I used to believe that that's a worldview. I do not believe that's the case. I think that is thoroughly unchristian and thoroughly unbiblical. When we step, when we see brokenness as believers, we, we step into that brokenness. And in that brokenness, we offer peace. We offer hope. We offer forgiveness. We offer grace. And we offer the light of the world. We do that on a personal level, when families experience brokenness, and we do it on a national level, when our uh, nation and our culture and our society experience brokenness. We don't diminish the significance of it. We step into it, and we offer hope, we offer peace, we offer a posture of faith. So this morning... What I want to do is I want to, I want to give you an example from the Old Testament of this. Where, where, God, where, where our, our posture of faith, our posture of hope is because we understand that God is, is in charge. He is sovereign king of the world. And because of that, we can come and offer hope, faith to God. Our culture. 
So if you have your Bible, Daniel chapter 4. If you've been around here for a while, you're going to recognize this is one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. It really is. If you're new, I hope that, that you'll uh, uh, maybe hear a, a story from the Old Testament for the very first time and be challenged by it. But either way, we're going to jump in. Now before we do, that was all my introduction. It's not proportional to how long the message is going to be, I promise. <laughs> but let's pray, and then we're going to jump in. Let's pray. Father, I do pray as we look at your word, that we would be reminded why we can come and step into a broken world and offer hope, peace, and forgiveness. Because we have been offered hope, peace, and forgiveness. We have found it in you. And Father, I pray that we would also remember that you are sovereign. Your throne is unrivaled. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Daniel chapter 4. Let me set up what's going on. Uh, Israel has been overtaken. They were a sovereign, independent nation. Because they turned their back on God, they were overtaken. And uh, God used Nebuchadnezzar, King Nebuchadnezzar, and Babylon to go in and overtake them. Now, King Nebuchadnezzar was a brilliant leader. He was a brilliant king, really. He was a, a very uh, evil one, but he was also brilliant. And, and here's how, and here's why. When he would overtake a nation, he would not destroy everybody um, whom he just overthrew. Unlike his predecessors, he would invite the best and the brightest back to Babylon to serve in his court. When he, overthrew, he would do that in every nation. He would find the best, he would find the brightest, he would invite them back to serve in his court. Now, uh, and whenever he overthrew Israel, he invited back at least, probably more, but at least four people that we know from, scriptures, from the scriptures. Uh, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they were invited back and they lived inside the, the, the king's uh, palace and served King Nebuchadnezzar. Now, when we pick up the story, things are going well. Life is good. There's an abundance of resources. There's calm. There's peace. Things are going well. Verse 4, we see life is going well for Babylon. Verse 4, I, Nebuchadnezzar, was at ease in my house and prospering in my palace. Verse 5. I saw a dream that made me afraid. So everything's going well until King Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. And it shakes him to his core. Now you have to understand, this is, is not a normal thing. Here's why. Nebuchadnezzar knows power, influence, unlike every person who has ever lived on this earth, minus maybe a handful of people. I mean, there is no rival. You're like, well, why is he, why is he calm? Why is he at ease? What about if a, another world power comes and overthrows him? What world power? I mean, there is no rival to his throne. He, if he wants to take somebody out in, in, in the entire known world, they are taken out. He has no rival. He, has, he knows success, unlike almost anybody who has ever walked the planet at any time in history. And then he says he is shaken to his core. This is an abnormal thing. What shakes him to his core? This dream that he has. What's the dream? The Bible tells us in the following verses. Let me just summarize very quickly. He, he has this dream that there's, a, that there's a tree. 
And, and in the tree, it's a very large tree. It's a, it's a prosperous tree. It's, it's a powerful tree. And underneath the tree are, are all these, these animals from around the world. And they're grazing. They have plenty of water, plenty of food. They're at ease. Things are going well. Well, suddenly, the tree is chopped down. We see, the, we see this in, in, verse four, or in verse 17. The voice in the dream says this. The tree has just been cut down. It's now a stump. And here's the dream. Or here's what the voice says. The sentence is by the decree of the watchers. The decision by the word of the holy ones. To the end that the living may know that the most high rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will and sets over it the lowliest of men. And this is the quote. This is, this is the saying inside the dream that really shakes King Nebuchadnezzar. And he has to find out what it means. And so he invites his wise men in to interpret the dream. Daniel finds out that the king has had a dream. And he comes in and he's invited to interpret the dream. And he interprets the dream. And here's what he says. Jump down to verse 24. King Nebuchadnezzar says, this is a bad dream. I wish this was for your enemies, but it's not. It's for you. And here's what he says. Verse 24. This is the interpretation of your dream, O king. It is the decree of the Most High, which has come upon my Lord, the king. I love it that he uses the Most High God. Nebuchadnezzar thought that was him. And he uses this term, the Most High God, to, to describe the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. The God of the Israelites. The Creator God. King Nebuchadnezzar, you think that you are the Most High. You think your throne is unrivaled. You think that you are not accountable to anyone. That you are the highest position. That, that there is no one above you. But, but King Nebuchadnezzar, the Most High, who came to you in a dream, whom you answer to, has said this, and here's what he said. Verse 25, that you shall be driven from among men, and your dwelling shall be the beat with the beasts of the field, that uh, you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. You shall be wet with the dew of heaven, and seven periods of time shall pass over you. We don't know what that means, seven periods of time. Um, exactly. Till you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom he will. And as it was commanded to leave the stump of the roots of the tree, your kingdom shall be confirmed for you from the time that you know that heaven rules. God stepped into a time in history when he was supposedly out of business. Israel does not exist in a so as a sovereign nation. He steps in and he says, and he reminds the king and he reminds the people, I give kingdoms to whom I will and I take them away. I give kingdoms to whom I will and I take them away. Because heaven rules. And then Daniel says, but king, it doesn't have to be this way. If you'll humble yourself and you'll acknowledge that heaven rules and that you are accountable. You don't have 
This, this, this dream does not have to come to pass. But King Nebuchadnezzar is not worried about it. He discards it after he hears what the, the meaning is. He doesn't worry about it anymore. And he goes about his business. He doesn't even think about it anymore. Jump down to verse 29. At the end of 12 months, an entire year passed. This is a distant memory, this dream. It's not even on their radar anymore. One entire year passes. And King Nebuchadnezzar was walking on the roof of the royal palace of Babylon. And the king answered and said, Is not this great Babylon, which I have built by my majesty, or by, by my mighty power, as a royal residence and for the glory of my majesty? So here's what's going on. King Nebuchadnezzar, he's walking on the balcony of his palace, and history tells us that his palace is up on the hill. It's up on the hill. It overlooks the entire city. And he looks at the entire city. It's the most beautiful city. It's the largest city the world has ever known up to that point. He looks over it all, and he says, it's all mine. I built it, and I built it for me. It belongs to me. Because I'm in charge and I answer to no one. I have no accountability. Verse 31. While the words were still in the king's mouth, there fell a voice from heaven. O King Nebuchadnezzar, to you it is spoken. The kingdom has departed from you. You are no longer in charge. Your throne is not unrivaled. You are accountable. And it has been taken away because I give kingdoms to whom I will and I take them away. King Nebuchadnezzar, your reign, at least temporarily, has come to an end. And you shall be driven from among men. Verse 32. And your dwelling shall be with the beast of the field. And you shall be made to eat grass like an ox. And seven periods of time shall pass over you. Like I said, we don't know if that's a year, uh, a month, days. We don't know exactly. But a period of time, seven times, has passed by. Until you know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives it to whom He will. Immediately the word was fulfilled against Nebuchadnezzar. He was driven from among men and ate grass like an ox. His body was wet with the dew of heaven till his hair grew as long as eagle's feathers and his nails were like bird's claws. According to the scriptures. While King Nebuchadnezzar is overlooking the city that he built. And according to King Nebuchadnezzar built for himself as his own playground. Well, immediately while that was happening, I think that's ours. That's why she's going. I was thinking, man, I, I think that's mine. Anyway, uh, while he overlooks this, definitely mine. Where was I? Let's keep going. So that should make you feel good. If your, if your kids are, are crying when they take you to Wellspring Kids... Mind you too. And even louder. <laughs> Nebuchadnezzar. He's overlooking. He's overlooking the, the, the city that he built. The kingdom that he rules over. And he says it's all mine. And the Bible tells us that immediately. Immediately he went crazy. Because. 
Because the Most High rules the kingdom of men and gives them to whom He will. And this becomes part of King Nebuchadnezzar's legacy. This is, this is one of the things that he's known for. Here we are thousands of years later in history and we're still talking about the time that God humbled the man who thought his throne was unrivaled. Verse 34. At the end of the days, I, Nebuchadnezzar, lifted my eyes to heaven and my reason returned to me. And I blessed the Most High and praised and honored Him who lives forever. For His dominion is an everlasting dominion. And His kingdom endures from generation to generation. And I would add, and I don't think I'm taking away from, from the meaning. It lasts from nation to nation. From ruler to ruler. From culture to culture. From age to age. From generation to generation. I rule and I reign, God says. And my dominion is unrivaled. It's everlasting. Verse 35. All the inhabitants of the earth are accounted as nothing. And he does according to his will among the host of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay his hand or say to him, what have you done? Nebuchadnezzar comes to this, this position. He comes to this realization that no one can question God. No one can, can question his ways. No one can challenge his throne. And no one can claim that he is no longer in charge. Now I, Nebuchadnezzar, verse 37, praise and extol and honor the king of heaven. For all his works are right and his ways are just. And those who walk in pride is able to humble. And those around him said, you've got that right. You see... We don't, we don't face the future by diminishing the significance of the things that are going on around us. We don't, we don't face a, an unknown future by, 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 by diminishing the significance of the issues that face our culture. We don't, we don't take a posture of faith by, by, by pretending that things are not difficult, that things are not seeming to spin out of control. We, we don't take a position of faith by, by lowering the significance of them. No, we take a position of faith by raising the, the, the significance of the throne that the God that we serve, that the God who has saved us, that the God who sent His only Son to become one of us, to die in our stead. We take a posture of faith by raising the significance of that. And by stepping into the brokenness, stepping into the heartbreak, and offering that hope that faith, that grace, that mercy, that light. That is how we can look to the future and offer hope. That is how we can look to the future offer peace. That is how. That is why we can look to the future in a posture of faith. Because the most High rules. His reign is secure. His throne is unrivaled. 
And from that position, he raises up to leadership those whom he wills. And in the exact same way, he takes them away. And it's under the banner of that truth. It's under the banner of that hope, peace, grace, and truth. And all these, all these uh, things that describe Him. And He offers to us. It's because of that that we face an uncertain future with hope and grace and faith. You see, Washington, D.C. cannot offer that. Neither party or anybody in between can offer that. If the church fails to step into that brokenness, into this culture of, of brokenness, into this society that seems to be spinning out of control, if the church if followers of Christ fail to enter into that and offer hope and peace and light, the United States government can't take its place. Neither political party can take our place. We, I truly believe this, we are the last great hope of this world. Not because of anything that we have done, but because who we are aligned with, who we are married to as the bride of Christ. The church is the last great hope of the world. Not the United States. The church. The followers of Christ. The one who can offer hope and forgiveness and grace and peace because we have received it from our Heavenly Father. If we fail to be that light, no one, no one can take our place. If we, all, if we, if we fail to, to offer what we as believers, as followers of Christ, have received from our perfect, loving, heavenly Father, if we fail to offer that, even in a broken way, if we fail to offer that, the United States government can't pick up our slack. That is why our posture of faith, our posture of hope, the light that we have been given must shine for such a time as this. Let's pray. Father, pray that this, this time that your church would be different would the, our light would shine. We would be that city on a hill that you talk about. And we would offer it to a, a culture that seemingly is spinning out of control. And we can rest in that truth because we know that your reign is secure. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.